Welcome to Code Grays, an episode-by-episode recap of classic Grays Anatomy. I'm Teresa Rosado, and today I am joined by just Patrice Anthony to talk about Season 3, Episode 4, What I Am. What I am is what I am. You said you didn't know the song. That's what this song is? Yeah! Oh, wow, I missed that. I did not know that was the song. Yeah. Oh, that's a good song, then. I I like it. I went down a rabbit hole earlier when I looked this song up and also remembered that Lisa Loeb is a person. (laughs) I'm glad you had a reason to be reminded of Lisa Loeb. (laughs) That makes me happy. Great music, great music. (laughs) Um, No Megan today, just us. She left us alone. Uh oh. Unadvised. It's gonna be a lot of dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> no dick jokes. No, no more dick jokes. Let's let's make vagina jokes. Um, what is Megan doing? She has a work function or something. It sounded very adult and responsible. Fuck that job. <laughs> she should quit her job and do this show full time. You listeners can you... support that endeavor <laughs> by by just sending us. Cash or check? Because yeah. we don't have. Send us a check, please. We a don't have a Patreon. Check. A handwritten check. That's a thing everyone's using still these days. Yeah, people are really into it. <laughs> we'll need two forms of ID. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Well, great, excellent. We are talking about episode four, which um, I watched twice and which I really liked. I enjoyed episode four a lot. Who's going to summarize it? Not me. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And since there's only two of us here, that leaves you. All right. Uh, You want to count me down? Uh, Yeah. Oh, I have to be the fucking timer, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. We have to work. (laughs) Megan's the responsible one. Okay, you have 30 seconds. One second. Do I? Okay. Uh, yep, 30 seconds. And go. Okay, so this episode, we have got uh, Burke, who's still recovering from his bullet wound slash botched surgery. We have, um, uh-oh, oh no, I lost my people. Mr. Sullivan, who smoked a cigarette after surgery and lit his face on fire. Meredith has appendicitis, but she thought she was pregnant for like one hot second. And then a lady who's really dedicated to her birth plan, despite the fact that it's a bad birth plan. Um... And McSteamy has started his position at Seattle Grace. That wasn't too bad. Your notes, Did I get everybody in? I was looking at your notes, and your notes are organized differently from mine, and I was like, what is happening? You did it. Yeah, oh, you shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. That's everyone. That's everybody. <laughs> so, oh, uh, this episode, October 12th, 2006, written by Alan Heinberg, directed by Dan Lerner. And, uh starts with Meredith saying how surgeons are their specialties. Yeah, because they don't know who they are inside. Yeah. So their specialties define them. I really want to interview any surgeon and see what they think about the psychoanalysis. I think it would have been a more interesting psychoanalysis if she said what each specialty meant about that particular person. I really agree. I think we can sort of extrapolate that like neurosurgeons are egomaniacs. Yeah. That sort of thing. I would like to, so I wondered if 
if this issue of like the specialties is like the astrology of the surgical world. And I really want to try to map (laughs) the surgical specialties onto astrological signs. Who would be the Pisces of the surgeon? (laughs) A Pisces. Give me some of their dominant traits. Uh, Emotional manipulation. (laughs) (laughs) Head in the clouds. Emotional manipulation, head in the clouds. Lots of feelings. Lots of feelings. I'm feeling like uh, an OBGYN. Interesting take. <laughs> Interesting take. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know about that one. Not sure. I don't know. Any uh, prominent astrologers out there, hit us up for your astrology surgery crossover. Who, okay, who is, who's the Scorpio of the surgical specialties? Mm. I don't know, but Christina Yang reads as Scorpio to me. Yeah, she does. I kind of feel like cardiothoracic surgeons might be Scorpios. But it could also be that I wanted to be a cardiothoracic surgeon, and I am a Scorpio. I think neurosurgeons are Leos. Oh, because it's all about them? Yes. Mm, That makes sense. (laughs) That makes sense. What are general surgeons? They just want to care for everyone. Maybe they're cancers. Maybe they're cancers. Oh, man. Yeah. I feel like, who's a Virgo? Just like really, like attention to detail. I mean, I guess that's kind of all surgeons. Yeah. That's a tough one. Maybe like plastics. Oh, yeah. That could be. That could be. Or Capricorns. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Who's the Aquarius of surgical specialties? And then we'll be done. I don't know. I don't know. Dermatologists. We didn't even cover Gemini's or Sagittarians or. We left a lot out. Yeah. This is imperfect, but yeah. I'm still interested. We don't know anything. About I just that. I agree with you that I felt like I wanted more from this like metaphor. Yeah, it's clear that I was into it. Is not. <laughs> Psychoanalysis. No, no. Where's Raj? No, we needed Raj. I was into it, like I, but I wanted to be more into it. I was like, great, great. I'm here. You've hooked me. What does like neurosurgeon stuff tell me about Derek? It's a flimsy metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Where do we want to start with this episode? There's a um, lot happening. That's why is. I watched it twice. Let's maybe just like <laughs> sort of go through it linearly as the episode goes. Oh my god. Okay. Maybe? Yeah, I no, that's great. Because there are no really prominent cases. It's just sort of like things are moving along. That's great. So as Meredith is talking, we see that she's uh, sort of physically in distress. She uh, is chugging some like pepto She's like housing that shit. Yeah. Oh, it's disgusting. Really there was probably actually water in that. That would make me sicker. Bottle. Oh, God, I can't even think about it. <laughs> so gross. Sounds really nasty. It's really appalling to me. Um, And so she's not feeling well. Everyone's sort of noticing that she's off her game. Um, And let's see what happens. They're sort of like getting ready to go in. Yeah. Well, we also, of course, we get the 
Well, it might make sense to start with Burke because he's the first case and we get him in the in the opening. And it's Burke still working on his fucking chickens. So still just a shit ton of food waste in the Burke Yang household. You don't think they cook them? No, I don't. I think he like plays with the chickens and then throws them out. He probably doesn't even fucking compost them. Damn. Yeah, composting probably wasn't. It probably. Well, it's Seattle, so maybe. It might have been happening, but I doubt it. I'd like to imagine that they cooked them. I I hope so. I, I do hope so, but I don't think so. I feel sad about that. <laughs> so he's doing his chicken surgeries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Christina seems very fed up with the fact that he's still doing chicken <laughs> surgeries, even though this was her idea. She's like, it's time for bodies. Something in this episode that I struggled with was like, and this actually happens with Grey's Anatomy a lot is I don't, they don't really give us clear enough clues as to how much time has passed between episodes. So this episode, like, it could have been a week since we last saw Burke with chickens. It could have been three months since yeah. we last saw Burke with chickens. I have no fucking clue. The passage of time is very <laughs> unclear. <laughs> I'm guessing it's not that long, though, but I, I don't actually know. So he is concealing a tremor. For reasons that are totally, they're known only to Burke. I don't understand. This is such a nonsensical Mm storyline for a main character Mm storyline. It's baffling. I said in my notes, there's such an easy answer to this problem. And that's what makes the storyline so frustrating. Especially because like, spoilers, we eventually arrive at the easy answer. (laughs) And it's like... What were we doing here? <laughs> yeah, it feels really unclear to me about why he's hiding the trimmer even from Christina because she's the one who notices the trimmer in the first place when when he's still in the hospital and asks, are you going to tell Shepard? And he's the one who wants to hide it. And so then for him to hide it from her. And also I'm wondering like how he's hiding it from her because yeah. they're literally together she doesn't just like look at him ever and he's like, whoa, with his hand. <laughs> you guys can't see me, but I'm shaking my hand. It's an audio me. medium. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really baffling. He has his he has his consult with Derek, his check-in to see like how his recovery is going along. And that's why I think that actually like a considerable amount of time had to have passed mm-hmm. between episodes three and four. But who the fuck knows, right? And Derek is way too up his own asshole about, like, the Meredith, the murder-Finn situation to give a single fuck about Burke. And so he doesn't really check Burke's range of motion. And it's just like, yeah, 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 you're clear. You're clear. And and then also, at the same time, <laughs> as he's asking Burke if things are okay, Christina comes in and is like, they're fine. <laughs> and I'm just unsure why she's pushing so hard for it to be fine but i think maybe it's because she's tired of Burke being at home all the time yeah yeah it has to be exhausting she's done with the caretaker thing she got him his chickens and she's like it's time to leave the roost now good good job thank you wow oh my god thank you so much extended metaphor (laughs) that's what they pay me the nothing for um So then Burke is just like, I'm going to, this was also, I have a lot of questions about this. Burke was like, I'm just going to take a stroll down to the morgue and I'm going to chop open this corpse and I'm going to practice some surgery on him. Mm -hmm. Is that an option? (laughs) 
Can surgeons just go to a morgue and check out a corpse in the same way that you check out a book from the public library? (laughs) Well, I think because it's a teaching hospital, like I'm assuming that, you know, first years or something, they practice on It's just a corpse free for all? No. Well, I think they practice on cadavers, right? Maybe? I don't know. I, I'm sure that they do, but it just, it didn't feel like there was any oversight. Like, it just seemed like he wandered down there. He's on leave right now. He took a leave of absence, didn't he? And he just, like, wandered down to the morgue. It was like, oh, yeah, this corpse looks good. Let me chop him open. I think this is the guy. He's, like, feeling the energy of each door. Like, this is the one. This is the corpse. This family's probably going to have a close cast anyway. <laughs> Jesus so Christ. Let's get going. So that's when he decides to freak out on Christina and kind of blames her. It goes to a really weird place. Yeah. He's like, no, you wanted me to be fine. And it's like, okay, yes, she does want you to be fine. But also, she has literally no reason to believe that you're not fine. Because you've been hiding a tremor. So what the fuck is that about? How is this a Christina problem? Like, she eventually makes it a Christina problem. And that's poor decision-making on her part. But his whole, like, my hands. My hands. (laughs) Which I can't get through because... My hands. All I can think is, my hands are small, I know, but... (laughs) Not yours, they are my own. Oh my god. <laughs> That's all I can think of in this entire scene. He's he repeats my hands so many times. And it is it's just like it's begging for a jewel audio cue. Like we're begging for a jewel audio cue. I need it. I can't take the scene seriously. Even though he's acting the shit out of it. Good job, Isaiah Washington. You're doing great. But my hands. My hands. <laughs> so that's really the entirety of Burke. No, it's not because then what does Christina well, suggest? Fuck yeah. That was that was not a rhetorical question, yeah, Patrice. What I does know. she suggest? She says, "What if I hold the vessel?" And what she means is, "What if I act as your other hand, the one that's trimmering, so that you can get your job done." Instead of, let's say, going back to Shepard and saying, it's not okay. (laughs) Like, I just don't understand the logic in this because Burke was ready to take the time to heal his hands. But maybe he's just come to the realization that the tremor is never going to go away. But again, we don't know the passage of time. And so it's like, maybe this is within the normal range of like when things would still be sort of bad. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When he was talking about the recovery period for the surgery in the last episode, I mean, he was like, he was talking about years for full recovery. So I don't understand what we're doing here. (laughs) Creating television drama. Surely this man could afford to be out of work and on disability. He's probably got a lot of money. For like a period of time. Totally. He's going to be fine. It is, it doesn't make any sense. It's baffling. It's baffling for Christina. It makes no sense that Burke would go along with it. It just, it makes no sense that Christina would suggest it. It makes no sense that Burke would go along with it. And it's not going to make any more sense as the season continues. Nope, it's going to get less (laughs) sensical. 
it's the start of something truly very infuriating. <laughs> Much like their entire relationship. <laughs> also infuriating, uh, Mr. Sullivan. Oh, God. Sean Sullivan. The name of a boy I had a crush on in high school also. Is that his name? Yep, Sean Sullivan. Oh. I know. Where are you at, Sean? Sean Sullivan. He was a speechwriter, I think, for Obama for a while. Or like, maybe he wasn't a speechwriter. He wasn't like John Favreau over here, but he was like, he worked in the Obama administration in some capacity. Okay, okay. Okay, when did you hop on that train? Well, for one, I'm gay. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) A big stumbling block. He was older than me. It was too. It was like too low key of a crash, and I was just like, "Oh my god, okay. uh, I can't." Well, yeah. Mr. Sullivan, idiot extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's he in for? He his heart, his lungs. Oh yeah. <laughs> his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he had like some minor surgery. And I think he, he had was, like a bypass or something. Yeah. And he was ready to go home basically, and Bailey was like, "Listen, you gotta cut back on the fried foods." And no alcohol. And no alcohol. He had exactly three jobs. (laughs) Which of the jobs did he fuck up? He could not, not smoke. (laughs) So he decides to light up in his hospital bed. While he's hooked up to oxygen. While he's hooked up to oxygen because he had made a promise to Bailey that he wouldn't smoke once he got home, which was never, it wasn't an audible, like, promise. That's just something his wife made up later. Mr. Sullivan's just a fucking idiot. Yeah. And he lights, <laughs> it shouldn't be funny, but he lights his whole and entire face on fire. Yeah, it, like, <laughs> explodes in, like, a fireball. Yes. And he's a car salesman, which we will be reminded of many times. A lot in this episode by Mrs. Sullivan. You should put the audio clip of her just going, <laughs> he's a salesman. Oh, don't worry. It's going to come up a lot. He's a salesman. Um, but what I love is that, like, everyone, it's, it's truly, it's one of my favorite montage scenes in that, like, in the foreground, we have Mark Sloan shaking hands with the chief. As he like puts on his surgical coat or whatever, because he's clearly taking on a position at Seattle Grace. And we have this fantastic musical cue from the gossip in the background. (laughs) And then we have like all of the interns gathered around and someone mutters like McSteamy. And then Meredith vomits for the first time. Addison is freaking out in the background. Mark is freaking out in the background. And then at the exact same time that all of this is happening, like also in the background, we see idiotic Mr. Sullivan going to light up a cigarette as George says, Mr. Sullivan, no. no. And then fireball. Yeah. And Christina maybe says, are you pregnant? <laughs> yes. And everyone, there's so much going on in this scene. It's truly, it's like a Renaissance painting. It's perfect. <laughs> There's like there has to be a perfect still from this scene where every all of those things are happening at one time. Um, and so much is happening, in fact, that no one remembers to tell Mrs. Sullivan, 
who's like over filling out Mr. Sullivan's discharge papers. No one remembers to tell her that this man has just lit his face on fire and actually won't be going home today. <laughs> and she comes back with the discharge papers and she's like, okay, well, is Sean ready to go? And Bailey just lets out the most exasperated sigh. And it's like, oh boy. <laughs> Listen. About that. Your idiot fucking husband <laughs> lit his fucking face on fire. <laughs> it's um it's really something. It's it's beautiful. But that's kind of all you need to know about Mr. Sullivan. Yeah, his case doesn't really do very much except for remind us that people are idiots. Yeah, he just becomes then a backdrop for the cockfight between Mark Sloan and Derek Shepard. Exactly. Is this a neuro case? Is this a plastics case? It's pretty fucking clearly a plastics case. I don't even know what Derek is talking about. Like, (laughs) Sloan is like, we need to call in a neuro consult because, like, the head is involved. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but... But, like, the man burned his face off. (laughs) And Derek is like, no, I... We could risk major blah, blah, whatever, whatever horse shit he's making up. And it's like, buddy, go fix an aneurysm. This is not your lane, my he man. He just says, like, we should wait because, like, actually, no, I don't know why he He, he does not have a good reason no. aside from, like, my dick is bigger than your dick. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to talk about with uh, Mark and, and Derek while we're, like, sort of on that? Sort of on that topic, aside from this perfect introduction. The whole thing is just a pissing match. There's not really a lot to say. It's just a continuation of like, what are you doing here, Mark? I fucking hate you. You're not my best friend anymore. And Mark's like, whatever, dude. I'm in love with your what? Like, it's... Yeah. I don't care. It's not great. He is... He does manage to be rude to absolutely every single person he encounters. Oh my God. Him being rude to Bailey? That's a really tough scene. That's a tough scene to watch. He has no reason to be such an asshole to Miranda. No. Except that she is a black woman who is technically subordinate to him in the hospital hierarchy. It's deeply uncomfortable. I forgot what an asshole he is, actually. And I had a moment where I was like, not so McSteamy, actually. Not so McSteamy. talk about uh jeff and the woman with the birth plan i didn't i did not catch her name it's her husband oh god her name is rebecca bloom oh neat neat yeah jeff and rebecca bloom yeah which is why in my notes i said not a crazy ex-girlfriend uh sure the main character in that show's name is rebecca bloom right but the actual actress is rachel bloom oh wait maybe i'm messing this up is her name rebecca bloom in the thing Hold on. Uh, Google, tell Crazy us. Crazy ex-girlfriend. Maybe I'm conflating the two names. Rebecca Bunch, Bunch. and Rachel Bloom. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, we got there. We yeah, got yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I still haven't seen that show all the way through. Uh, but what I have seen, I've loved. Yeah, it's musical theater all over the place. Yeah, I didn't think I would enjoy it. But the episodes that I've seen were fucking hilarious. Uh, the Santa Ana Wins was a real special one for so me. good. So good. Yeah, so good. Anyway, that's not the show we're recapping, though. It's not. We can't talk about the song Heavy Boobs. Heavy Boobs. Heavy Boobs. <laughs> heavy Boobs. Dead's like dying stuff. Like, okay. All right. So, you know who has heavy boobs? Pregnant people. This pregnant woman. <laughs> 
whose name I already forgot. Rebecca, you said. Rebecca. Rebecca Blue. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Uh, So she comes in to the hospital. She's eight centimeters dilated. But as Addison explains, the fetus, the baby, is at a minus three station, meaning that the baby is not engaged. The baby's head is still above the pelvis. So not descending into the pelvis to, like, come out of the vegetal canal. That is the most medical information that has ever been offered offhand on this show. You're welcome. Ever. You're welcome. Because Patrice is a doula. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Uh, So I actually kind of hate this storyline. It's toxic as fuck. Yeah. So, like, you say that she has a crazy idea, but, like, having a natural birth plan is not crazy. No, 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 no. I took particular umbrage with her description of, I don't want to be one of those weak ass women who bails when things get scary. That was like, and I understand that the show is not framing that as the right choice necessarily, but I think it's toxic to even fucking include it, especially without any counterpoint. Like, Addison does not really provide any counterpoint to that. She doesn't, like, she doesn't make any points about, like, how women's bodies differ or, like, you know, like, I. she just doesn't make any reasonable counterpoints because she's going through her own shit, and that's the whole point of her yeah. story, storyline. But I, that for me was just, like, toxic as shit. Yeah. I mean, the whole storyline is kind of problematic. So th- she's sitting there, and they immediately say, like, you're going to need a C-section, which, like, they are surgeons, so I understand, but knowing what I know, that shouldn't be the first thing they should say. Like, and obviously this is a show about surgeons, so, like, maybe they're just not showing the work that the nurses are doing, but what they should be doing is trying to get the baby to engage, to move further into the pelvis, because she's already dilated, further so they just need the baby to come down and there are things that you can do to make that happen like eating spicy food no <laughs> like running no. having no. sex no aren't those all things those are things to get your labor started but like she's that's already... you're saying that's different yeah. <laughs> she's it's different than where she's at yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i definitely know how my body works Her cervix is right that is not the problem mm. the problem mm. is where the baby is in the body and you can do different positions to help make that happen. Okay. To help the baby like all fours. Into the vaginal canal. That probably wouldn't be one that they Damn would it. use right. in this case. Strike anyway, <laughs> so that's problematic, number one. So then they're just like using scare tactics. They're like, we've got to get in there with the C-cells. Late D-cells. So that actually is a thing, <laughs> late D-cells. But I'm loving this. Just read me for filth, Patrice. It's problematic. (laughs) And then also problematic is her description of women who get C-sections as being weak. Because those C-sections have a time and a place. And Mm -hmm. that's fine. But both sides are not really doing a great job of explaining really anything. And, like, if, if they wanted to support this woman in having a natural birth, they should have said, okay, let's try these things first before we go the route of C-section instead of just, like, leaving her in there lying on her back. Like, Mm. that's definitely not going to get the baby to descend. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. 
You want to know about late T cells? Too, yeah, though. I do. I, what the <laughs> fuck is a late T cell? What is happening with that? So what they're talking about is like a deceleration in the baby's heart rate. Okay. And so a late T cell um, is problematic because it's an abbreviation. Yeah. It's not a D cell. No, no, not like a cell. That's a D. So this clears something up just almost immediately. <laughs> So why late D-cells are problematic is that, so um, decelerations of some kind can be normal, and er, like an early D-cell, which would be the baby's heart rate is moving in the same direction as the contraction. So at the beginning of the contraction, the baby's heart starts to decelerate and then reaches its most bottom point at the peak of the contraction and then starts to increase. It's just moving with the contraction, the baby is sort of in quote-unquote distress because it's being squeezed <laughs> into the vaginal canal. A late D-cell is when the um, baby's heart reaches its lowest rate after the peak of the contraction, so it's not moving with the contraction. So mm. that tells us that there's something wrong, that the baby is actually in distress, mm. and it's not about the contraction causing the D-cell. Hmm. And that's why it's problematic. And there could be any number of reasons for late D-cells, including the baby's not getting enough oxygen, blah, 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 blah. Wow. Okay. There you go. D-cell. Yeah. For deceleration. Yes. <laughs> not a previously unknown cell in one's body. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much. That was very helpful. You're welcome. I'm sure maybe I said a number of like misinformative things because I haven't been doing doula work for a while, but you know. <laughs> I feel like the basic just sounded pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> sounded pretty good to me. Um, this storyline is also really toxic because I, I fail to understand how Alex Grev isn't suspended from this program, <laughs> like regularly suspended. Oh like just his complete disdain for the patients, for his attending. I mean, it's terrible. And he pulls it together at the end and scrubs in on an awesome, you know, emergency C-section or whatever, crash C-section. But, like, he doesn't deserve to scrub in on that surgery. It's just, like, he's the only fucking person there. Um, And he's just so – he's just so terrible. I'm excited for him to be utterly dismissed by Mark Sloan for several episodes. I think that's going to be really satisfying. Yeah. Just – that's exactly right. Yeah, go do plastics, you little bitch. Yeah. God. Addison's like, okay, fuck off. I thought I was going to teach you something, but this is pointless. <laughs> um, ooh, where should we go now? I think we should go to Meredith. Okay. Who could be pregnant. <laughs> but she's not. But she's not pregnant, thank she's God. Just her thank God. She's pregnant with appendicitis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, my very first comment, I like, I know this is not the point, but she could have tried harder to make it to a trash can. This bitch just vomits wherever she is twice. That's crazy. I have never, yes. My first thought was like, Truly a white woman would just projectile vomit without any effort to get anywhere else. I have never in my life 
just <laughs> vomited on the floor in front of me. <laughs> what? Like, you know you're feeling <laughs> nauseous. Like, get over a exactly. trash can and and anything. It's the single most baffling part of this entire episode and I'm including Christina's suggestion to Burke that she be his hand for a period of time (laughs) she makes no effort she literally just bends over and fucking pukes I also feel felt a little baffled like I have never had appendicitis I still have my appendix hopefully it will not go rogue same um, but I make the assumption that it feels more like a stabbing pain and less like an upset stomach, which right. leads me to like, why were you drinking Pepto-Bismol? It doesn't make sense. I agree. It also doesn't make sense. Like, she's, <laughs> she's a doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah. How do you not know that you have appendicitis? I don't get that. You have to know that you have appendicitis. That's crazy. <laughs> Maybe it feels like something... I feel like I Google symptoms of appendicitis like anytime I feel a weird pain on my left or right side. (laughs) Or right side. Because I never remember where my appendix is. Is on the right side? I still couldn't tell you, Patrice. That's why I Google it every time. And every single time it's like, you might be experiencing cramps. (laughs) It's just your period. Um, so that's my, that's my first, uh, the first unbelievable and insane part of the storyline. The second is that she is on a lot of morphine for a very long time. And she's getting to administer her own Yeah. Which seems What's happening? This bitch couldn't even recognize that she had appendicitis and you're just letting her go ham on the morphine? This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand the preoperative care at Seattle Grace. <laughs> Maybe it's different when you're a surgeon. I guess. It's just a morphine free-for-all. I That's yeah. hard to believe. And also people don't take as good care of you. Just like Jesus. when you see that with Burke. Yeah, I guess that's true. You get subpar care <laughs> when you're a surgeon. No shit. Um, stoned Meredith, hi Meredith, is a treat though. She's a good yeah. time. She's just saying all the things. I've Anything she wants. I've also morphine, so I don't know if this is... I don't know if that's indignant. how you respond. Yeah. That was also really weird. I'm like, she's not like under anesthesia. Like, when you go under anesthesia, like, you come out of anesthesia and you're saying crazy shit. Yeah. Like, you say insane things. Yeah. That's true. That has happened to me exactly once in my life. But even that, I like, it wasn't totally insane. Like, I came out from under anesthesia... And apparently I was crying and telling my parents how much I loved them. Wow. <laughs> that, like, I don't remember it. Listener, that's really rare. <laughs> but I was like crying as I told them that I just love, like, I loved them so much. And I just needed them to know how much I loved them and how important they were to me. <laughs> So my understanding of anesthesia is not that it's like six hours of crazy talk and also that morphine and anesthetics are different. Yes. So anyway, same. I've never been on a morphine trip. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. I'm just saying she was pretty lucid while also talking crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. For a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm worried about that. So during that crazy talk... (laughs) Uh, Finn, Derek, and George happen to be there. And she's like, oh, 
all my boyfriends are here. <laughs> and it is deeply painful yeah. to watch. It's also deeply painful that the two of the three men she's had sex with out of that trio is Derek and George, not Derek and Finn. Yeah. She oh, never oh, fucks oh, Finn. The revelation that she had not what? had sex with Finn, I was like, how is uh, that possible? How is that possible? Oh, Meredith, what are you doing? What are you doing? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yes, yeah, she has all her boyfriends in the room. Um. It's very uncomfortable. She also has a conversation with Addison that is uncomfortable, but sweet at the same time. It makes me just feel like um, if there were no men in the world, (laughs) I think women would do really well all the time. (laughs) Well, it feels curious to me that Addison would even have this conversation with Meredith. It's totally improbable. Yeah. It's completely implausible, in fact. I appreciate... The conversation, but the yeah. fact that Addison didn't just walk out of the room. No, it's ridiculous. Why was she even in the room to begin with? I Like, literally, Meredith just calls her over. Oh. Yeah, the fact that she didn't ignore her. Yeah. Baffling. That would have never happened. Yeah, so they have a cute conversation where... And specifically, the first question that Meredith asks is, how did you know Derek was the one? How the fuck are you going to ask right. his current wife... As his mistress, how are you going to ask about his status as the one? She's not a mistress. She's an adulterous whore. Wow. That's true. That's true. We've got to update her status. (laughs) Uh, Really ballsy question to start out with. Very strange that Addison decides to indulge her. Yeah. (laughs) I don't understand. And that Addison comes out of it and is like, Godspeed, essentially. You know, like she turns to Derek and she's like, don't, don't hurt, hurt that girl. Again. Yeah. Like, don't hurt her again. Yeah, what is this instinct to protect Meredith Grey? It's literally the backbone of racism in America. <laughs> protect white women. Literally. Literally what we're describing here. Literally. Oh my god. <laughs> it's also very strange to me that Addison... I mean, she has kind of this telling, like, stereotypical moment where she's like, I knew that he was the kind of man who would never hurt me. And how? Because I feel like Derek <laughs> is definitely the kind of man who would hurt me. I, that's, that, yes, thank you. I'm like, who the fuck was New York Derek Shepard? Because Seattle Derek Shepard is, is an asshole. Yeah. He's terrible. Um, and Meredith immediately points that out. She's like, well, he hurt me, you know? And it's like, uh... It sucks to watch Addison still feel like Derek is this, like, untouchable dude, and she fucked up in these irreparable ways. And it's like, yeah, you you did fuck up, but he wasn't blameless in this, like, and... And it also doesn't make sense that she says that he's the type of man who wouldn't hurt me, because he did hurt you. Yeah. That's why you cheated. Yeah. 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 And then he hurt you again. Yeah. He hurt you again when he fucked Meredith. And you found her underwear in his suit jacket. He hurt you again <laughs> when he flew across country yes. and made a different life. Yes, yes. It's just, yeah, that was that was infuriating. And it's also clearly like we're supposed to, as viewers, be drawing a parallel between Derek, the good guy, and Sloan, the bad boy. Mm. And it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. But also, I don't. 
Sloane as the bad boy always felt like a very forced sort of character arc. Yes. It'll get complicated. It'll be more complicated eventually, but it's just forced from the get go. I do not, however, agree, and we can get into this later, when Sloane is like, you and you and I are the same, Derek. I'm like, no, okay. Let's <laughs> not get crazy. No, you did two very different things. <laughs> That's like, stop that. Stop it. Um, so then that leaves us with the conversation that Derek has with Finn and that Derek eventually has with Meredith and then Meredith with Finn. What did you think of this series of events? I don't actually remember the conversation that Derek and Finn have. Well, basically, it's just like Derek gets to know Finn. Like, Finn and Derek get to oh, know right. each other, and so they stop being such dicks to each other. You know, like, Derek finds out that Finn was married and that his wife died, which Finn just kind of throws in awkwardly, and I would say slightly manipulatively. Oh, yeah, definitely. Finn's <laughs> like, Meredith tells me things, but doesn't tell you things. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, Finn, don't be gross about it. Like, you can't I mean, leverage your wife's death. Also, Finn, like, you haven't had sex with her. She's just friend zoning. Yeah, you. she's, yeah, that's Which exactly like right. She doesn't tell Derek things because she's fucking him. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, and so then Derek gives his entire speech and to, to Meredith. You deserve to be with somebody who makes you happy. Somebody who's not going to complicate your life. Somebody who won't hurt you. He's a better guy. Meredith. Finn's the better guy. I'm walking away. He's the better man. It's a, it's a tough one because he definitely does the, like, I'm not good for you. Like... I'm I'm the bad guy here, so like don't do this thing, and I'm I'm gonna like bow out of this, right? And here's the thing, it's it's some patronizing bullshit. Yeah, it's pretty, it's terrible. Finn comes back being his sweet self with bad hair. Such and bad hair this episode. So Him and Callie, who had worse hair? Ugh, can't talk about it. I think it might be Finn. I'm going to get heated. It's really bad. He looks bad this episode. Very bad. Um, And so she basically is like, you shouldn't come visit me. <laughs> because <laughs> it's rough. And he's like, oh, it's Derek. And Meredith is like, yeah, I don't really want it to be. <laughs> You're the better man. At least you got that. Yeah. I'm never going to fuck you. Yeah. You are a great guy. You're a wonderful guy. And you may even be the better guy. But he's the one. And I wish he wasn't. At least Finn gets one solid burn, which is like when he hurts you again, I'm not going to be here. Some other nice lady is going to go on a fucking horse birthing date with me. Yep. And yeah. We're going to have sex that night. <laughs> that Yeah, he's not going to wait anymore. He's like, that's out. I'm done with that. I'm good. Um, it sucks. It sucks to see Finn go. This will be Finn's last appearance on the show. I know that thanks to the Grey's Anatomy wiki. And also, I vaguely remember that. Thank you, Grey's wiki. And uh, you definitely get the sense that Meredith is making a huge mistake. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and that yeah you thought Derek was terrible and then and then he got more terrible 
Um, yeah, I think this is supposed to read as sort of like noble or yeah, endearing, it's noble. noble. He's giving up his love because he realizes that he's a bad dude because he has that conversation with the chief and also Addison tells him not to hurt her. And yeah, <sighs> it's I okay. It's it's marginally successful as a noble tactic. Sure, I see it. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> Patrice, you do not see it at all. No. Okay. <laughs> do you have anything further to say? I have no time for that. For that noble endeavor. <laughs> Stop protecting Meredith Grey. That's where you're at. All right. Great. What's your position? Um, what, what other odds and ends? We've got to talk about George and Callie. For sure, we have to talk about George and Callie. And Izzy, oh my god, that's right. (laughs) Oh no, this is like actually a really big plot point. I know. Okay, let's... Also a big plot point for the future. Yes. Let's power through George and Callie. Okay. Um... Uh, George is terrible. (laughs) Callie's hair is terrible. That's it, the end. (laughs) I, uh, oh, it's so frustrating. When George says at the beginning of the episode to Callie that he's just not good at this feeling stuff, I wanted to rip my own beautiful hair out of my head because (laughs) he is like 99.9% feelings and nothing else. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I think what he means is he's not good at talking about his feelings, which I would say is actually true. Sure. Because he has a lot of fucking feelings. Yes. And he just avoids talking to them about the person he's feeling yes. about. Case in point, that shit with Meredith in the second season. Right. He talked to everybody else except, except fucking Meredith. Except Meredith, yes. And he clearly cannot prioritize Callie. And Callie just like... I don't know why it it has taken her this long to see that and to just and to just let it go, right? And the episode at least wants to set up that she's letting it go by possibly taking McSteamy home from the bar. Right. A pairing that I'm super on board for, even though they have no initial chemistry. In part because Callie does not at this point have chemistry with literally a single soul on this show. Because she's gay. And I actually think it's because her hair is so terrible. <laughs> That's my... That's my working theory. It's not because she hasn't met Erica Hunt. Nope. Her hair is so terrible. It is really bad. It's awful, Patrice. It's hard to even make it seem like she's sexy. Like when Mark is like, oh, oh my God. Buy you a drink. I'm like, really? Right? It's not working at all. It's awful. Was that really 2006 hair? Did people have hair like that back? I don't know. Sarah Ramirez unfortunately did. Yeah, her hair's much better now. It's much better now. Jesus Christ, it's better. Um, so that's that's sort of the big turn at the end of that episode is we're like, well, okay, what's gonna happen here? Yeah. Um, Callie breaks up with George. Yes. Mark and her. Yes. Potentially get I did off. really appreciate. <laughs> I did really appreciate her speech to George, which was just like. I don't know why this is so hard for you. And now you don't have to worry about figuring it out. And then just walks out. And again, I'm like, 
tip of the hat to Callie. Like anytime a person like preemptively removes themselves, I'm just like, I see you, I feel you, I love you. And Callie did it in just a really boss way. Just like, congrats. Now you don't have to worry about figuring it out. <laughs> love that for her. Go fuck Mark. You're going to have a good time. Yeah. You're going to have a really good time. We're assuming. I, I'm going to guess here. So the last thing to talk about. <laughs> Not having a good time is our final character. <laughs> Izzy. <laughs> She's and having a really bad time. Denny number two. Yes. So Izzy finally leaves the house. She's not baking any more muffins. She's not power stancing outside of the hospital. Nope. She is in Joe's bar mm-hmm. to meet a, a mystery man, or yes. as Joe describes him, a gruff-looking ex-marine type. Yeah. Uh, it turns out to be Denny's dad. Yeah. Yeah. Who she's meeting at a bar. And his name is In Denny the middle of the day. As well. He's Denny as well. Yeah. Denny Denison. I- I called him Denny number two, even though technically Denny's Denny number That's two, true. but whatever. Full name Denison, though. I right. don't want us to lose sight of that. Denison. Denison. It's a <laughs> so name. terrible. Not it's Dennis. Denison. It's a family name. It's awful. Um, and the reason that he's there is because the chief has put him in touch with Izzy. Yeah, instead of the chief giving what? Like, medically accurate information what? about what happened to his son. Although, granted, Denison, the senior, says that that's not what he wants to know. He wants to know... Oh, of course not. Why would he want to know the facts of his son's death? Right. He wants to know how the fuck Izzy, a pretty girl... Not Denny's type, because apparently Mm-mm. he just liked horse-faced girls. He, he liked brunettes, smart brunettes, he says to a literal surgeon in training. Uh, really weird. He but, does not come off great. No. Apple did not fall far from the tree. He wants to know how the fuck she got Denny to marry him, or to propose to her, right before dying. He's convinced that Izzy is a gold digger with a tough debt. <laughs> He's giving Izzy, like, way too much credit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the whole conversation is basically him just being like, what's up, you blonde bimbo? Are you trying to take my son's money? I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> <laughs> and my answer to how... Izzy got Denny to propose is that she was a scary manic Mm -hmm. motherfucker. She doesn't say that, though. No. Not how she characterizes it. (laughs) Yeah, she really goes with the rose-colored glasses and not the, like, (laughs) I'm a crazy bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Who just literally stopped your son's heart. (laughs) Yeah. I also, the whole time that the uh, Denny number two was talking about, like, Denny being so healthy, I was just waiting for him to be like, Denny was a horse of a man. I wanted it so bad, Patrice. I was trying to will it into the script. A horse of a man. There's a moment where he's struggling to come up with words to describe how virile his son was. And a horse of a man. man. Oh, it was just right there. It was right fucking there, man. It rolls off the tip of the tongue. It does. Before that, Denny had never been sick a day in his life. Before that, he had been a strong Viral horse of a man. Well, we find out a lot of important things, namely that Denny ghosted his own parents. Yeah. So 
we, this is an important note. <laughs> you think that Denny couldn't be any worse as a character because he's dead now. And then we find out that he ghosted his own fucking parents because he was like, oh, I don't want you to have to watch your son die. Another person preemptively removing himself <laughs> from a situation as a way to like save the feelings of others. This is a theme this episode. But Denny's easily the most annoying. Like Derek is a close second, but Denny easily takes top honors because he actually does fucking die. He becomes a literal ghost after being an emotional ghost. Oh my God. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh my God. That is so fucked up. I cannot deal with that <laughs> revelation. So we learn all that. <laughs> he leaves the world's longest voicemail. About his beautiful, my girl. My know. girl. Oh my God. To, he finally calls his parents. Don't put the audio Oh, I'm gonna. Because it's fucking good. I'm gonna play it quietly underneath our speaking, actually, just like it is in the show. Just Denny narrating his beautiful horse of a girl. (laughs) (laughs) And so, as Izzy is listening to this voicemail and crying, even though it's not very moving. Also, it's, I just, I need to reiterate it is so long. Don't do this. Nobody wants to sit. And listen to that shit. <laughs> not in 2006 and not in 2020. Don't do it. Nobody's leaving voicemails. Nobody's doing this. If anyone's leaving voicemails still in 2020, everyone who you're leaving them for is automatically deleting them. And yes. Them. Yes, they are. So the final scene is we see George sitting next to Izzy while she listens to this terrible fucking voicemail. And he pulls out of the envelope a check for fucking what how much is this 8.7 million dollars I actually so the first time that I watched this I watched it with my fiance late at night and the level of inarticulate rage was such that like my partner had to like put her hand on my body to calm me down because it's like it all came back to me in a rush what she decides to do with this money. And she's such a fucking dumb bitch about it. And I can't like imagine that someone wrote you a check for $8.7 million, Patrice. I just. <laughs> I'm so angry retroactively at Izzy. You know what I would do? The first thing is I would buy a fucking house. That's what I would do. I would buy a house. And then I would team up with an investor. And I would invest some money. I would learn about investing. And I would take a fragment of that money and just lock it away in investment and another in savings, right? And then I would, like, do nice things for my family members, right? But I would keep working and I would invest and save, and like try and live off the interest of my money. That's what I would do. I would also fund my doctoral study. <laughs> Smart choice. Yes. Smart and I would uh, not waffle anymore on getting a visa. And I would leave the country immediately with my money. <laughs> <laughs> Solid plan. Solid plan. But 
That is not what Izzy's going to choose to do. What would you do with $8.7 million, Patrice? Would you, like, hesitate about accepting it? Oh, fuck no. Okay, thank you. No, not at all. What the fuck is that about? I can't. I'm sorry. What would you do with $8.7 million? Oh, hmm. Pay off my student loans. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd buy a house because I don't feel very settled yet. Mm. I'd probably travel. Yeah. Invest, yeah, mm-hmm. save. Or maybe just save. I don't know. Mm. Money's hard. <laughs> I feel like I would only keep... First thing, small... financial advisor. Yeah. <laughs> First step. I would step. feel like I would keep a small portion of it and like... Absolutely. Give a lot of it. Because what the fuck am I going to do with $8.7 million? That is fair. I don't need $8.7 million. $8.7 million. I'm going to counterpoint you here. That is not that much money in the United States in 2020. Like, it seems like a lot because we're poor. (laughs) Oh, right. Right. Okay. Right. We're poor. But by the time that's taxed, you've got, what, $4 million, Right. Um, and $4 million is not going to stretch that far. I mean, if you're, if you plan to stay in the Midwest, you can get something out of that, right? But you're really, you're going to want to invest that. You're going to want to save it. You're going to want to try and make it stretch as much as possible, but you're not leaving your job for $4 million. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're eating out more often, but like, (laughs) you're not going crazy with $4 million, but she can't even accept the $8.7 million. Well, because she, she's grappling with no. something. There's no room for this. I'm livid. Uh, and that brings us to our M&Ms, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think that's it. <laughs> per usual, we end the episode angry at Izzy for future storylines. Of course. How else would we end it? <laughs> it wouldn't be Gray's. Teardrop ranking. I think I gave it nothing. <laughs> I literally said meh. You know, I gave it I gave it one to two. Um, the Addison Meredith conversation was moving at points, and um, and again, like the Derek Meredith conversation, while terrible, also had its points where I was like, oof, ouch. You know, like you're like watching a person break their own heart. And so I'm kind of like, that's, that sucks. Sure. I'm a Derek Meredith shipper, ultimately. I really am. It's terrible. On call room? Nothing. Big fat nothing. Absolutely nothing. Song of the week? Um, It was a toss up for me. I really love Camera Obscura. Yes. And, which was the opening song. Or the opening band. Uh, and I actually don't even remember what song it was, but her voice is so distinctive that I was immediately like, oof, Kim Obscura. Um, or I really love TV on the radio, so. Mm. Mm. But I feel like I mostly chose those for the band and not for the actual song. For the song. Or the placement of the song. I really loved, there was actually a lot of good music this episode. I agree. Um, which was great. Uh, TV on the radio was a plus for me. Actually, I really love that song, although the placement was just kind of like meh. But then the gossip, that musical cue with like McSteamy and everything, that was that was great. That was my favorite use of a song, even though it was my favorite song of the episode necessarily. Death tally. None. No death. I said one. I went the Patrice route metaphorically. 
um, Mr. Sullivan's career as a car salesman oh. died. You burnt. <laughs> <laughs> You're burnt, Mr. Sullivan. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Um, yeah, and Mrs. Sullivan tells us that often. He's a salesman. 007? Uh, I did not put anyone. Oh, man. I had Derek. He flubs his checkup with Burke. Mm. Like, can't even be bothered to pay attention to his patient during the consults. Uh, and then he's just totally superfluous on the Mr. Sullivan case. Yeah. He's just injecting himself and making it about himself and his dick measuring context contest with McSteamy. It's gross. He's terrible. <laughs> terrible doctor, terrible person this week. Karev. Uh, I said Mark. Yeah. Just for his treatment of everyone. everyone. It's yeah. not even he's, close. He's, he's, he's so terrible. Karev's Karev. He really does. It's like Karev should have had this one easily and right. somehow Sloan slid in and was like nope I got it from here <laughs> what about chief resident also no one for me I feel like no one was a great doctor okay I felt like Addison Montgomery because she didn't ignore Meredith and she actually had the conversation with Meredith which although totally implausible and would never happen a real person would never do that this character did and I was like that is noble as well. Okay. Um, and she does ultimately save her patient's life in fairly dramatic fashion. And I'm like, all right. It probably shouldn't have gotten to that point. Yeah. But like, you she were an awesome surgeon at the end of the day. So didn't need to happen. That's chill. <laughs> line of the week. So many. Uh, my favorite line was Meredith. Talking to Mark. That's my favorite dirty mistress. Haven't you heard? Now I'm an adulterous whore. <laughs> and she's like so happy about it. She's also hopped up on morphine, but that was There's so many lines from Meredith um, when she's high. Um, <laughs> but I also really like Christina at one point at, towards the beginning of the episode is describing Meredith's dating life and... Um, someone says like, oh, that she's dating two doctors. And Christina just says, one doctor, one vet. <laughs> because she cannot go an episode without referring to the fact that Finn is a vet. Not a real doctor. <laughs> Not a real doctor. It's very, very funny. I think we kind of got our medical fact of the week in. I asked, the fuck is a D-cell? And it's not a singular thing. It is, again, an abbreviation of the word deceleration. <laughs> Teresa has learned something. Today. Thanks, Patrice. I love learning something. You're it's my favorite thing. Sometimes I have <laughs> things to contribute. So that's our episode. Season three, episode four. I think we did pretty well without Megan. I think she's going to yeah. be really proud of us. We didn't even take too many. There were like very things. few tangents. Way to go. Let's have fun. Look at our self-discipline. Oh my God. Real professionals. We are going to be back next week with episode five of season three. Um, but until then, please listen to us, subscribe, leave us a nice review, rate us five stars. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Acast, on Podbean, our wonderful host. Really, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find Code Grays. You can also find, a, find us on Twitter, at Code underscore Grays underscore. You can email us, CodeGrays at gmail.com. And you can check out our fun Instagram, um, at Code Grays Podcast. 
And uh, yeah, that's what we got for you. Check us out. Say hi. Drop us a line. Yeah. Mostly just listen. Download our episodes. Slide into our DMs. Yeah, slide into our DMs. Absolutely do that. <laughs> See you next week. Bye.